Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Zach and worship team, for leading us into worship. Isn't that a great set? Good job. Give them a hand. That's not easy work. I don't know if you know, that just doesn't happen, right? They don't walk up, grab their coffee, and just stand on stage, and that suddenly appears. There's a lot of effort that goes into that, so it's great. Hey, I want to give you a report on the Run to Win camp. Uh, went really well. I was a little concerned. It hadn't started out that well. We uh, started out on Thursday night. We only had 34 kids, and we were like, wow. Usually we have 80 to 120, and like, what happened? And uh, when we had gone to hand out flyers in the apartments and stuff, um, normally there's all kinds of kids around, right? School's out, and they're out doing stuff, and you, hey, yeah, the camp, oh, yeah, and they, they run flyers around. And this year, we didn't run into any kids. As a matter of fact, there was one little girl that talked to Shannon. That was it. And we went, wow. So, uh, I was kind of concerned, but bless Mike Rohrbeck. He has got the, uh, he is the eternal optimist. That guy is something else. He said, Steve, I learned a long time ago uh, to trust God for the noses and the nickels. And what he meant by that is, what he meant by that was, hey, if I have to worry, he says, we run 92 camps. If I have to worry about who shows up and how I'm going to pay for it, he said, I'd be dead and in the grave. He said, you watch, it'll turn out well and it'll, you know, uh, kids will come. And sure enough, on Friday... Uh, about 15 more kids piled in. And then on Saturday, about 15 or 20 more piled in with a bunch of adults. So by the time we got done, we had over 100 people at the camp and they all heard the gospel. And the good part about it, we had 12 kids accept Christ for the first time, which is really great. Yeah, and then we had about another 18. Mike just gave a simple thing and said, hey, sometimes you know the Lord, but you just got to reset, right? You just got to recommit. And uh, we had about 18 kids that uh, recommitted their life to Christ as well. And then we handed out the flyers for VBS, and a lot of kids were excited. So we got to try and go to that thing. So it really turned out well, uh, and uh, it was a neat. It was hot, but there was a breeze, so it was doable, and uh, it was a great thing. I also want to give you a heads up on where we're going uh, just in the next one. So today we've got a baptism. It's a very good thing. And then uh, we're going to do in July, uh, the title of the series is Me and My Big Mouth, right? And... Uh, if any of you can recognize that, uh, you can come join me. But uh, we're going to walk through the tongue and the sins of the tongue. And uh, that goes back to as old as the church is. And it's something that's always in front of us. And we're going to do. And then uh, in August, uh, we're going to have uh, Scott Hardaway speak. Some of you know Scott. Scott and Noel are here. They're usually down sitting right here uh, in the morning. And uh, Scott is brother to Robin Wiederspoon. So, you know, Robin and Lauren and that whole gang. Some of you, those names don't makes sense if you're new or visiting, but for the, us, they do. And uh, two and a half years ago, there was a family reunion of the Hardaway clan, and uh, I've known that family for 30 years, and they all came, and they were all right back there, uh, back where Brady and them are sitting, right? And, um, and we were talking, and Scott was there with his wife, Tanya, and we were uh, having a great time because they're from the Midwest, so you can kibitz about Midwest things and speak Midwest ease, and nobody else gets what you're talking about, right, Linda? And uh, so we're talking, and uh, they went home, and 13 weeks later, Tanya was dead. And so out of that, uh, Scott it was a pastor in a church in Michigan, and he did a series called Out of the Pit. In other words, what lessons do you learn when God takes you through the valley of the shadow of death? And so he's going to be uh, doing that in August, and then he's also going to add one week, uh, the story of how God brought him and Noel together. I had the rare privilege of being a part of that and doing their pre-marriage counseling together. And uh, it's, it's quite a miraculous story. And I think it's going to be uh, a very uh, beneficial thing for our, our church body. So uh, that's coming in August. Then at the end of August, the last Sunday 
August 30th, um, we are going to have church in the park. All right, so we are not meeting here. We're going to meet up at Willis Tucker in the bowl with the amphitheater, and we're going to take all three services and all the friends we can collect and do a big shebang up in the park. And then when the service is done, we're going to have a big barbecue and a Northview family hangout mealtime together, all right? So we're looking forward to that. It should be exciting. And uh, if you come here on that Sunday, the doors will be locked and there won't be anybody here. So mark that on your calendar now, Sunday, August 30th, Willis Tucker Park, Church in the Park, all right? Okay, that's good. Well, if you've noticed, it's been a little warm lately, right? For us uh, West Washingtonians, uh, our webs are starting to crack and dry out and... Uh, we're not quite sure what to do with this heat. Should we bless God for it or do we need to pray for rain? And uh, we're, we're a confused bunch, right? We are ridiculous. It's too cold. It's too wet. It's too, right? It's too hot. It's too hot. Right? We're, we're never happy. I mean, can you imagine God listening to us? We must sound pathetic. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about drought and the need of water this morning and then finish up with a baptism. So would you join me as we open up the service with prayer? Fathers, we come this morning. You are the living water. You are our source. You are the fountain. And Lord, we live in a day and an age that is rejecting that across the board. But we affirm that in you. We affirm your word. We believe you are the Son of God. We believe your word is the word of God. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. And as we talk about water, use, give illustrations to create talking points with us uh, as we go through the week. And we give that to you with great hope. And pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, I wanted you to get into the swing of things this morning. So here's a cool picture. That's actually supposed to be a lake, if you get the humor behind it, right? Uh, there's not much left there. Uh, that's actually a lake in California, and that is present condition uh, today. And so I thought I would start with that picture to get your mind thinking. I, I took an article off of MSN the money section that was entitled The Nine Cities in the USA with the Worst Drought Conditions. That title again is The Nine Cities in the USA with the Worst Drought Condition. And here's the interesting thing. All nine of them are in California. Not only are all nine in California, all nine are in Central California, in the Valley, right? So we're talking Fresno, Bakersfield, all that country right there is uh, in terrible drought. Now, when they rate drought, they rate drought on a scale from 0 to 5. So D, D0, D1, D2, D, right? Get to DEFCON 4, DEFCON 5, that kind of thing. And that's how they, they rate drought. Um, last year, so this would be 214, not 215, but in 214, the entire state of California was under severe drought conditions, or D2. In other words, the best that it was doing in the state was D2. That was 214. And as you know, they did not get the rain and the snow and the stuff they needed um, this winter. Uh, they have a, what's called a Mediterranean climate, so most of the rain comes in the winter, late spring, and they depend on snowpack uh, to get through the summer. And uh, this year already, all nine of these cities that we're talking about are already at D3. Right? So it's gotten considerably worse. Now, this report was as of June 2nd. So that we're already three weeks past that. And as you know, uh, the fires are starting to kick up and the drought has increased. There's not been any rain. And so the conditions are even worse than when this article came out. California is not alone in this. 
Washington, uh, the stream and river levels are already at August conditions. Many of you probably read about that and, and looked that up. And uh, what's nice is the reservoirs are full. They were smart and they didn't let a, water, a lot of water out this year, so the reservoirs are full. But the problem is there's not a lot going into the reservoirs and they can't let a lot out because we're only in June and we're already in August conditions. So as we get to July, because, you know, if you think about it, really around here, it isn't until the 4th of July that summer actually begins, right? And usually it rains that weekend too. And then we go, oh, then it gets nice. Well, it's been nice now for a month and a half. So it's kind of an amazing string of weather that we're having. And, of course, we've loved it. But the point is rain is a good thing. Water is a good thing. And you don't really realize how valuable water is until you don't have it anymore. And then it takes on uh, kind of a, a huge uh, priority. As a matter of fact, in the world at large, uh, water is becoming, if you look at this next slide, can you move it ahead, Joel? It's not moving for me. No? There we go. Thank you. If you look at this map, water's becoming the new currency of the world. If you look at the planet, uh, the brown and the tan areas are places on the planet right now today that are experiencing either moderate to, uh, and the brown would be severe drought. And if you look, you notice most of Africa uh, is in that. And the gray areas you see, that big gray area you see in Africa and also in Australia, that's, well, in Africa, that's the Sahara Desert. Right, so that's slightly drought conditions. They don't even have a color for it; they just make it white. All right, but if you look uh, at, for example, South America, that's Chile and Peru. Uh, you can see experiencing drought conditions. Most of what we know is the Middle East. Much of India, right now, and Pakistan are in severe drought conditions. You can see up in China and Mongolia, where that's also true. Western United States, uh, and so. Uh, Water, or the ability to get water, becomes uh, a high priority and becomes an amazing skill set. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine named Katie Toop. Katie's no stranger to most of us. If you have been here at Northview, you've heard her and uh, know her. But if you're newer to Northview, you might not. Uh, Katie was a kid in my youth group. And Katie would tell you she is always honored to have me as her youth pastor. I would tell you that picture exactly needs to be flipped. I'm very honored to have her in my youth group. Uh, she has gone all over the world. Uh, she is a uh, worship leader. She's an incredible musician. She's also kind of smart. She has her PhD in physics, all right, from England. And so she's a, a pretty bright person. And uh, she goes all over the planet uh, doing water resource studies for places like we showed on the map before. She goes to places that most men are afraid to go to. Uh, I won't name the countries of where she goes to because that would not be a smart thing for me to do. But needless to say, uh, they are not your basic average tourist destination. right? And uh, she is literally one of the most courageous people that I know. And uh, this is her in front of, and what she does is she teaches them how to get water resources, how to build wells and this. And this is a well that they finished for a community that previously the only place they got water was out of mud puddles or out of a dirty, filthy stream that uh, kind of wandered through the village. They now have a clean source of water 
And you can see the well there. The guy standing next to her is the guy who helped do the concrete work on the well. And uh, uh, they do that so that the well can stay covered and the water source stay pure. Uh, So this issue of water, the issue of the enormous kind of turnaround that occurs in places like this that didn't have water before or had very bad tainted sources of water. For example, some of us maybe go down to Phoenix and, uh, you know, vacation there. You've ever drank the tap water in Phoenix? Right? Whoa! Like, they call this tap water? Right? If you're from the Northwest, you don't realize we just got good, clean, sparkling, wow, water. Uh, Other places don't have that. And you can imagine what happens in a village when all of a sudden they can take and put their pail under and turn on. They have actual clean water to drink and clean water to cook with. And it it just changes the incredible infrastructure of the place. And it also opens up a, a, a tremendous conversation about the living water, the relationship that God can have with them as well in places that would not have been willing to have the conversation before. And so... Uh, you can continue to pray for Katie as she jaunts around the planet. And Katie, if you're listening to this, we're proud of you. She's cool. There's another kind of drought, though, taking place in our world today that also has to do with water. But this time, it's not talking about physical water. We're talking about spiritual water, living water. There's a drought for the Word of God. And people are thirsty, and they don't know it, and they don't know uh, how to ask for it. And sometimes they're right next to it. And they don't even realize it. This is a story found in John, the woman. Whoops, sorry, the woman at the well. And uh, it says a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And we did a study in John a couple of years ago. And uh, what you realize in that story is that woman was not the most popular woman in the village, and she had a pretty seedy lifestyle. And so she came to the well in the heat of the day because she could avoid most people. She could run to the well, no one would see her. She could get her water, scoot back into town, and largely remain invisible. And that's kind of how she looked, um, uh, why she came. And in the process of doing that, she ran smack into Jesus. That's something, sometimes you're trying to run away from stuff, and you run right into Jesus. That's kind of how it worked for her. And they're at the well together, and uh, Jesus had said, would you give me a drink? The woman's astonished, like, why why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. That's putting it politely. The Jews called the Samaritans half-breeds. Uh, they, we would understand it better in language of calling them bastard children. Right? You want to put it in the tone that it was? That's the tone that they were. They called them dogs. Right? So the Jews had a very high opinion of Samaritans. So this woman is astonished because obviously this guy is some sort of teacher sort of guy, dude figure hanging out and so she's like why are you even talking to me you know don't you know that's not protocol and jesus says to her if you knew the gift of god you know think about how close the people in your world are sometimes to the kingdom of heaven and they don't even know it i was standing around uh in a crowd i'm trying to remember i said where it was in the first service and I've forgotten by second. All right, well, on with life. But I was standing in a crowd and I remember standing there thinking, you know, some of these people are within three feet of eternity and they don't know it. 
Because I have the Holy Spirit in me and I could share Christ with them, but they don't even know they're looking for what I've got. And I, I was just numb by the number of people that were milling around me. And I'm thinking, the gap between eternity is, one person was like right here, I thought, 18 inches. All that separates them is 18 inches and they don't know it. Sometimes they don't know how to look for water. They don't know where water is. And it's like this woman. She didn't know. And Jesus said, you know, if you knew the gift of God, who is that saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And of course they get into a kind of a chess match dialogue sort of thing, right? And they they get into this little sparring uh, kind of thing. And Jesus says, well, okay, here's the deal. Go, Go get your husband. And the woman looks at him and says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is straight up with the deal. He says, you, you know what you just said is true. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. Boom! How would you like to have been in that spot? Ah! How does he know that? Oh my gosh, who in the world is this talking to me? My laundry just got spread out for the whole neighborhood to see. And she starts dialoguing and later this woman, we find out, comes to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. You know, one of the cool things about heaven, saying, what are we going to do in heaven? You know, sit on a cloud and play a harp kind of deal? There would be fascinating things to do, but one of the fascinating things to do in heaven is be able to talk to the people we actually read about in Scripture. Do you realize when you go to heaven, you'll be able to sit down with the woman at the well and say, what was that like? How did that really feel when he said to you, go get your husband? What were you thinking? You know? And I'll bet you she would say, oh yeah, it was the usual run-of-the-mill thing and I knew he was Jesus and you know, I knew he was going to ask that and it didn't bother me very much at all. Do you think that's how she's going to respond? She's, she's going to be going, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know who he was, but it wasn't looking real good there in the beginning. But he said, if you would have asked, you would have, he would have given you living water. This idea that God can give us life eternal, God can give us life through His Spirit, is important. But sometimes we are in drought conditions. We don't have rivers of life springing up in us. Matter, it's more like Psalm 63. As David's talking, uh, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Uh, my thirst flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever felt like you've been in a desert for the word of God? You ever felt like you've been in a desert to hear from him? And like, it, it, it's like, boy, just a, a cup of cold water would be all the difference in the world. And when you're in a drought or a desert like that, you suddenly realize how precious water is. And you start to suddenly realize how how important it is. Jeremiah says that uh, in Israel's time, he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. Isn't that an incredible phrase? They will be dust in the earth. That's what he's saying. Their bodies will be decomposed dust in the earth. How's that for a picture of drought and desert? Their names will be written in the earth for they have forsaken the Lord. What? The fountain of living water. And obviously we live in a day and age that's walking away from the fountain and saying we don't need it. Jeremiah says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. In other words, 
your soul becomes like a place when even when good things are happening around other people, you're like in a desert yourself. You ever felt that way? God was blessing and talking to everybody around you and you're just this desert bush with no green leaves, just brown, dry, brittle in your soul kind of thing. That's when you need living water. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. In other words, this tree has a source. The roots go down to the source. We've been pounding this year about being in the Word. And by the way, you know, summer's hit and you may be way off schedule again. Right? Reading through the Bible. Whatever the four plans that you're in, you may have completely, you may have forgotten what plan you're in. Right? Reading through. But if you're in your plan and you've forgotten or you've stopped, pick it back up. Right? Just because you missed a couple glasses of water doesn't mean you're going to quit drinking water for the rest of your life, does it? Pick it back up. Take another drink. Get back in the Lord. Send your roots down deep. It says you do that. You stay green even in a, a season of drought. This parallels Psalm 1, really close. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, and he yields his fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. The idea, but you ever seen a really dry place where the wind comes and just dust blows, right? Just dust blows. You've probably been there and, you know, you get dust in your shoes and dust in your clothes and dust in your ears and dust in your soul kind of deal and everything's just chafing. And um, sometimes when you're there, boy, you just suddenly, stuff you didn't, take as valuable before something becomes really valuable. I remember a mission trip that we were on back in 1986 and we went to California, Mexico, Arizona, and Utah. And for the training on this trip, there was uh, about 40 of us. There were several different churches that came together. Uh, There were about 17 of us uh, from Washington. And uh, we joined this group. And part of the training was we were going to go on a hike in the uh, foothills off the mountains there in California. Right, And if you know that country, it's kind of all rolling mountains. It's, it's just scrub oak and it's dry and it's, uh, you know, it either wants to bite you or prick you. There's, it's a, not a user-friendly environment. And so uh, we're going on this hike. And when we got to the uh, small park that the trail started from, they handed out these grapefruit. These were the most amazing grapefruit I'd ever seen in my life. Now, you have to remember, I grew up in Wisconsin. So by the time we got to Wisconsin, grapefruits are this big, right? And even in Washington, you know, a big grapefruit. But they had, one of the people there had a a house and they had grapefruit trees and they pulled these grapefruit off and these things looked like mini basketballs. They were like incredible. And uh, you could almost hear the water sloshing in them. They were so big, right? Some of you ain't know, you just know what I'm talking about. And so when we got to the park, they handed these out to the kids And they said, put one of these in your backpack. And most of the kids were already grumbling because it was hot and they were already tired and uh, their backpacks weighed too much. And so what they did was 
uh, when no one was looking, they would take and they'd just leave their grapefruit on the picnic table or they'd throw it on the ground underneath. And I can't tell you what motivated me. I don't know if it was my father's Depression-era mindset that said, you know, you might need that down the road, take a couple, or, um, you know, if it was just, uh, you know, the Lord saying, hey, pick up a couple of these. I can't really tell. But I, I kind of looked at those grapefruit and thought, that might come in handy. So I took like uh, 10 or 12 of these grapefruits and I had room in the top of my pack. So I stuffed them all in the top of my pack and pulled the thing over right and latched them down. And it was a lot of weight, but I was Godzilla at that time. So I thought, you know, no big deal. And so up, you know, up we went. And so we're walking. And my pattern was the lead guy uh, was, uh, had been in youth ministry for 35 years, but he was a little bit eccentric. So he said, Steve, I'll lead you. You pick up the back. And I said, okay, that sounds great. And, uh, and so I picked up the stragglers at the back. And uh, we came to a major fork uh, about four hours later. And one trail shot this way, one trail shot this way, one trail shot straight ahead. And there was not sight nor sound of any of the rest of the group. So here's six of us. The rest of the 40 are scattered God knows who where. And you can't tell where people have walked because it's that powder, right? So I'm looking. I can't figure out where they're going. So we said, you know what? We're up on this ridge. Let's just, there's enough kind of sort of level, well, you could call it grass, but it really wasn't. But it was good, for, good enough for who it was for. And so I said, let's just park here for the night. Maybe they'll come and come back and figure out we're missing and come and find us. And so we roll out our tents and we, we sit there for the night. And it's pretty hot. And I said to the gang, hey, make sure you drink some water. They said, Steve, we can't. I said, why not? We ran out of water a long time ago. We drank it all right at the beginning of the hike. These are Washingtonian kids, right? Got to remember this. And uh, I said, oh. So I pulled one of those grapefruit out of my pack, peeled the grapefruit, started handing out slices of grapefruit. Wow. I just, you could just see their eyes light up, right? It was so cool. And then as it got dark, we could tell. We kind of looked and we're, we're up on the surge. We looked down and we saw lights way down there. We could hear them. You know, at night you can start to hear things. And we could see one group down there and uh, they didn't know where they were. They were trying to set up camp. And there was another group down over here. And the leader was nowhere in sight or some. I mean, we couldn't. So I said, you know what? Let's just, we yelled down to him and said, hey, we're up here. In the morning, come back to the main branch and we'll all meet there and we'll we'll do a powwow together and uh and so that's what we did in the morning got up made breakfast and then uh the other two groups actually came up and joined us where we were and there were some other young lions in the group and they said well we're going to storm ahead we got to complete the mission we got to go and i said nope they said what do you mean i said do you know what dehydration looks like no i said well half of you are in it right now and I said, you have no idea where this trail goes. You don't know how far it is. There, I can guarantee you one thing. There's absolutely no water at all. And, uh, and I said, and I just happened to have these. And I pulled one of those grapefruit out of my pack. I said, so me and these grapefruit are going back to the bus. <laughs> Anybody who wants some grapefruit. I, I knew how to manipulate. It was awesome. Anybody who wants to join me and my grapefruit can follow me back to the bus. They said, well, we'll just take some from you. I said, you take some, you'll die in the dirt right here. <laughs> I said, we're talking about life and death. I will take you out. Don't even think about it. And they said, 
Okay. And uh, so we started to march back down to the bus and we'd go, you know, a mile or two. I'd peel a grapefruit, hand a slice out to everybody. Go another mile, peel out. We barely made it back. The kids were stumbling by the time we got back to the bus. But the they, you know, at first when they saw those grapefruit, they just threw them on the table, threw them under the table. But boy, did that become the precious commodity trying to get back to the bus. And sometimes God allows drought or we create our own drought and don't realize how desperately we need His living water till we really become incredibly thirsty for it. God says, you know, sometimes we, we shoot ourselves in the foot and create our own drought. Jeremiah here says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this and be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. He says, here's the two things they've done. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken or cracked cisterns that can't hold water. There's so many things in this life that promise you life. They promise you living water. And then you dump all your stuff into it and you just watch your life leak out the sides. Right? And you become more parched after you do it than you were before. You ever eaten something that uh, you were thirstier after? Right? Done that and go, wow, that did not help at all. Okay, that's the kind of thing we're talking here. And God says, hey, if you want to, you can create drought conditions in your life. A drought of the Lord by chasing after other things that promise to quench our thirst, but really can't. Jesus stood in the, in the front of the temple on the last day of the great feast of Passover and he said, stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he said, anybody who's thirsty, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of him will come fountains of living water. And there is life will gush out of that person. And sometimes... When you hear stories of that, when you see how that happens for other people, when you see how that comes again, you realize, boy, I've got to stay close to the fountain. I've got to stay close to the source. When you're in desert country and if you've got a well, you don't walk very far away from that well. Right? You stay close to the source. Well, we've got a story this morning of someone who uh, thought they were close to the source, then wandered away from the source and have come back to the fountain of living waters. And uh, we're going to hear Aaron's testimony up on the screen and then do a baptism this morning. So enjoy the testimony. Risk. Refreshing. Uh, refreshing water. Aaron, in that story, you talk about doing the posturing things versus doing the real life thing. Have you come to a place now where Jesus is your living fountain, your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Do you confess him as Lord in Christ? I do then with honor I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kaylin, get in here, get wet, that's all right. <laughs> it's only water. Let's pray together, would you? Father in heaven, we celebrate your rebirth in people's lives. Father, and Aaron has quite a journey.
quite a story of how you found him uh, in a, a faithful religious background, but he didn't know you. And Lord, this, this morning is affirmation of truly understanding that baptism is a death to self and a life to you. And uh, he has chosen you and your kingdom. And he does so with joy. And with that, we celebrate with him and ask for your favor in his life. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, give him another hand. Thank you.